Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Well, again, welcome this morning and this, uh, this uh, second weekend in February weekend leading to Valentine's Day. Uh, I don't know if you know this, Albert Einstein had a, a wonderful way with words when wooing women. Uh, to Maleva Merrick, whom he eventually married, he wrote these words. If only you were with me. We understand so well each other's souls. And also drinking coffee and eating sausages, etc. <laughs> now, ladies, uh, you know, it's, we always talk about guys, are you getting prepared? But, you know, it's, it's a two-way straight street. And if you're looking for something different for that guy in your life for this Valentine's Day, how about 100% beef jerky brocade? of roses for 69 bucks. They're handcrafted, made from over one half pound of 100% high quality beef jerky. The website sayitwithbeef.com says it's the perfect way to say anything to any carnivore. Only problem is, due to overwhelming demand, they're currently backordered and cannot guarantee Valentine's Day delivery on new orders. But uh, just thought that would kind of and some of you don't go get hungry on me and start your stomach growling if you've seen all that beef jerky. Guys, that may not be the right choice for you to also offer your ladies. So be wise and, and realize that our words matter and pick out just the right Valentine's card and whatever else is, is necessary. Because whether we think about it or not, the truth is words are powerful. And the Bible deeply affirms this right from the start. In the very beginning of the Bible, it tells us in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then proceeds to, in the next chapter or so, explain how God created. And so in verse 3, it, in the th first thing that it tells us how he did it, it said, And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Light, it... it the Bible says the first thing God created in Genesis 1-3 explicitly says he spoke it into existence and it was good. In other words, his words created. And this pattern has continued all through Genesis chapter 1 up to and including the very creation of us, human beings, where he says all of it is in fact not just good but very good. But God's not the only one who speaks. When we get to Genesis 3, we see Satan as the serpent also speaks. Chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And notice, if you, if you look back into chapter 2, you'll see that Satan is twisting God's word to suit his own purposes. Verse 4, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Our, our words are important and powerful, and as we see from the very beginning of the Bible, they can be used for good, but also for evil. And, and that doesn't come as a surprise to us, because every one of us has been on the receiving end of what somebody has said, whether intentionally or unintentionally. 
And James, the half-brother of Jesus, is teaching Jewish Christians who have, in many cases, been forced to leave Jerusalem because of persecution, that the faith they speak and claim only matters when it's lived out. He understands the importance and power of his readers' words, and he's already warning them about the, the power and danger of their words. He, he said in, in, back in chapter 1, verse 19, he says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteousness that God desires. And then in verse 26 of chapter 1, he said, If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. James cautions his readers that being religious, and, and here it means being a disciple of Jesus Christ, means that, that disciples watch what they say. And then as we come to chapter 3, James says a lot more about the tongue and our words. So that's where we're going to dive in today. Oh, I invite you to open your Bibles to James chapter 3 or on your electronic mobile device, you can use the Uversion Bible app, or if you have neither of those, we have notes printed in the bulletin that you can take and pull out, and it has uh, many of the scriptures spelled out in there, and all of them listed. And the first thing that we'll see is that James's understanding of the power of words ought to give anyone caution about teaching God's word. He says in verse 1, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, in the original Greek language in which this was written, the sentence carries the sense more of not so much a suggestion, but a prohibition. And it does that because teaching God's word is so important for people coming to faith and living it. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans, he said, how then can they call on the Lord they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Now James is writing mainly here about those who are in some sort of official capacity as a preacher and teacher in a church. But it's not limited to them, this teaching thing, based on, in fact, the words of Jesus. Because Jesus himself said in what we have come to call the Great Commission... He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, which is what we did Friday night, by the way, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Jesus calls all his disciples to teach. Maybe not to a large group. Maybe not to stand up in front of a congregation. Maybe not even in, in, a, in a classroom setting. But to anyone we encounter who needs to know about him and know salvation, yes. We need to be in a position to do that. That's why we are intentionally putting an emphasis on discipleship. Because we want to equip you who have made a decision to follow Jesus Christ to be disciples of his. And a disciple is someone who follows Jesus, who does what Jesus did, who makes disciples, who makes disciples. Disciples go and make disciples, teaching them about Jesus. And you and, you and I cannot give what we don't have. So your, your time spent reading God's word, the Bible, your time here in worship, in small groups, 
in serving. And, and again, if you're not serving right now, after the service, Josh will be over in that corner to lead on a volunteer. And all of these things are crucial to the Spirit helping you obey Jesus. But James helps us understand that not everyone should teach in official settings. He says, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. Now, everyone stumbles, okay? Everyone sins. The Bible says that. That's a fact of, of living in, in a world corrupted by sin. And yet some are moving toward perfection, which is the journey that, that he calls us to, which here doesn't mean sinless perfection. And I, and I hate it sometimes the way that word has been translated, but becoming more and more spiritually mature, becoming more and more like Jesus. And as a person does this, he becomes better able to allow God then to control him or her. James understands the power of our words. So he's very concerned about someone speaking to a congregation of folks, many of whom are not yet spiritually mature, and some, in fact, who are exploring Christianity and getting the wrong idea, getting the wrong message. I, I want to tell you, every once in a while, I'm standing up here in, 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 in this setting, and I get excited, and, and I'm thinking about what I'm going to say, and sometimes stuff just blurts out, and sometimes it comes out kind of wrong. Sometimes it comes out, in fact, in ways that some people think is funny, but others are disappointed by what I've said and, and, and may even find it offensive. And so I, I discover I have to really be on guard that while I don't want to quench the Spirit and His working in and through me, at the same time, I know that I'm not listening to only one voice that the enemy is also speaking. And the enemy would tempt me sometimes to say, well, if you said that, it would be kind of cool, or some people will think that's kind of, oh, what, a, what a preacher would say that. And, and, and so I have to be careful. And, and I, I apologize, and I confess that I'm not all, I don't always do that. Up here searching for the right word, it's almost like the picture of an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other. I think we've got a, yeah. Each whispering to us what to say, and if I pick the devil's choice, inevitably, one way or another, the gospel message is going to be compromised, even if my intentions are good. And God says, I'll be, more, be judged more strictly because of the power of words. And so to make his point, James then gives some examples of the power of the tongue. Verse 3, he says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. He says a bit in a horse's mouth, that little thing, can turn an animal weighing hundreds and hundreds of pounds, or the rudder on a ship, which is fairly small. I think we have a picture of a ship. No, there's the horse, and there's twin rudders. I mean, look how small in comparison, and yet it can, it can move the ship in all kinds of directions, and, and both 
the bit and the rudder were commonly used in ancient literature as examples of controlling something large by something small. James says the small tongue affects things far beyond its size, just as a small spark can create a raging wildfire. We've been seeing that in in California over the last several months and in other places in the West, and they often talk about a simple spark. Uh, uh, It was enough to ignite fires that sometimes consumed even tens of thousands of acres. And that metaphor is used in the Bible intentionally because what we say can create incredible damage. Proverbs says a worthless man plots evil and his speech is like a scorching fire. You know, growing up, my mother taught me, teachers taught me, they probably taught many, maybe many of you, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. And, and it is a great sentiment, and it ought to be true. But my guess is every one of us in here have been hurt by things people said. Words have the power to create good, just as God did in the beginning, and to create evil as Satan did. Our tongues are very powerful. James says in verse six, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. James says the tongue can corrupt the whole person because what we say often sets us on a course that affects our lives profoundly. One statement one statement, and many of you know this is true, one statement can, can send a relationship into a spiral. One statement you didn't mean to say, one statement that slipped out, one thing that was in your head that somehow came out of your mouth. Or it can ruin a career. Or it can deeply hurt another person. And some, even in here, have repeatedly heard said by people that should love them, that they have no value, that they don't matter, to the point that it warps their whole way of seeing themselves and life itself. So James tells us that the tongue can often be a place where evil reveals itself and acts in our lives. In fact, he tells us the tongue is actually set on fire by hell. And the Greek term here used for hell is Gehenna, and it carries a very disturbing image for first century Jews and and before. The Valley of Hinnom, and we've got a, a, a map here. Here's the temple area. Here's the Kidron Valley. Here's the Garden of Gethsemane, the Mount of Olives. So this is what we typically think of. Well, the Hinnom Valley was down here. Kidron Valley turns and makes this, this jog right here. And it was in the Hinnom Valley, this ravine south of Jerusalem, where in Old Testament times, there was the pagan practice of child sacrifice. I mean, just think about that. People were sacrificing their children because they believed it would appease the gods. And that's why, as you read through the Old Testament, the Lord God was so vehemently opposed to it. He said it was the ultimate form of evil. By New Testament times, it had become Jerusalem's garbage dump. And, and so trash was continually burning there. So if you were a Jew in the first century, 
Not only did you have this, this recollection, this history of knowing the evil that had occurred in that place, but now it was a place where there was smoke continuously rising. And what does evil and fire and smoke remind you of? Well, eternal fiery punishment and corruption. Hell. Hell itself. And James says the tongue can be an instrument of hell if we're not careful. He goes on, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth, he says, come praise and cursing. And then he says, my brothers, this should not be. He says, you know, we, we people, we can tame a lot of animals. But the small tongue often defies that effort. In fact, James says it's so bad that while the tongue can praise God, in the next breath, it's, he says, it can curse people. People made in God's own image. And this is what we maybe forget sometimes. When we curse another person, we need to realize that just as God created us and loves us, he also created that person. He also loves that person, regardless of what good or bad they've done to us or to others. And so James says it's wrong to do this. Because ultimately, praising or cursing really give us a picture of our heart, which is, in essence, our true spiritual condition. He says, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Now, again, keep in, in, your, in your mind this image of our, of our mouth or our heart. My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This deeper problem is that sinful words are ultimately and inevitably the result of a sinful heart. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus talks about this. He says, don't you see that nothing that, that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. This was kind of a, this was a key point. Jesus here is actually turning the page on some of the Old Testament food laws and saying there's nothing inherently unclean about what food we eat because it comes and it goes. But he went on. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of a man's hearts, Come evil thought, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. What these evil words do ultimately is reveal that the tongue is an instrument of our heart. The tongue, our voice, our words, 
tell the truth. All too often we say, well, I didn't really mean it. Or that just slipped out. Jesus said a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. And if all that sounds kind of discouraging, it may be. And a lot of people, including a lot of folks who call themselves Christians, say, I can't help what I say. You know, it just comes out. It's just who I am. But that's not true. Though they need to keep submitting their heart to God, for evil does not have to have the final word in your life or mine. God does. It's easy. (laughs) Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it. Devil made me say it. Whatever. I didn't mean to say it. It just slipped out. But if it slipped out, that means it was up here. And if it was up here, it was coming from our heart. And, And that's why You and I can't just simply change our words and and, and everything gets fine. We have to go deeper to look at the heart. And the good news is that no matter what we or others say, God keeps his word that he can transform a broken heart, a, a, a damaged heart. After Satan had spoken his deceitful words to Adam and Eve and they had sinned and been confronted by God, God promised that one day Satan would be crushed and and God's people redeemed. In Genesis 3, 14 and 15, he says, Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And in the last verse there, it, it may seem obscure. I, I, I grant you, it may seem obscure. But most scholars believe we are seeing the very first prophecy of the coming of Jesus here. For from woman's offspring would come one who would strike the enemies of God. Satan, sin, death, hell, the grave. And Paul Paul points to this, and, and when he's writing the Galatians in chapter 4, verse 4, he says, when the fullness of time had come, God had sent forth his son, born of a woman. Now, that's kind of a strange turn of phrase. Why would he need to say that? Unless, perhaps, he's thinking all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and that prophecy. Born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus came, he lived the perfect life that you and I could never live. He spoke the perfect words from heaven that all of us fall short of and died in our place for our sinful words and actions. And the good news is that that did not end his life. He was raised from the dead and the the death that comes from his sinful words has been overcome by Jesus, the word of God. In fact, John writes in chapter 1 of his gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, 
and then jumping to verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ, the word, the living word of God is actually the ultimate solution to our problems with words. And God himself has the final word. James 1.18, looking back, it says, God the Father chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created, that we might be something different from the world around us, that death doesn't have to have the final word because Jesus defeated it on the cross. And when he returns, he will have the last word. For we who put our faith in Jesus Christ will be his children forever. He promises, Revelation 21, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words These words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. Not maybe. It is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will will be my son. We struggle with our words. Every single one of us, if we're honest, I think. But God has promised he will redeem us. And and our words, even, do what his son, the word of God, did for us on the cross. But the good news doesn't, and and, and it can't end with us. It's not just, look what he has done for me and my words. We have been commissioned by Jesus to tell the good news to others, to invite them to experience the true word of God, who can transform any heart. The only and ultimate answer to everyone's words problem and, and the taming of the tongue is helping them welcome Jesus into their heart. And it was, it was so exciting, if you were here with us Friday night, to see several people proclaiming that through their baptism and saying, this is where I stand. This is what matters to me. James has been telling us all along that, that real Christian faith, Christian faith that is seeking to grow and mature and become more and more like Jesus, to be his disciple looks for ways to put his words, their words, and faith into action. If you remember our memory verse, and hopefully you've been working on it this, this last week, it said in James 1 and 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And our, our verse this week makes it clear what the state of our heart and faith are when we don't do what it says. Here here it is. Let's read this together. As the body without the spirit is dead, 
So faith without deeds is dead, James 2, 26. C.S. Lewis, in his book called The Weight of Glory, wrote this. Remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. You and I have the power of God living in us, those of us who have welcomed Jesus into our lives. change how we talk, but more than that, to be, allow our, our words to be words of life, to create rather than to destroy, to build up rather than to tear down, to be encouragement rather than discouragement. And we're going to walk through our day and we're going to be tempted to say something, something bad happens or somebody does something to us. And we're tempted to say something. And that's, even if the words don't come out, it's an indication of how much we need Jesus. How much every one of us, every one. And that's why our words have the potential to give life. To not just be life for us, but to help others. Because No one this week you meet is a mere mortal. Everyone you encounter was intentionally created by God, and God has a purpose for their life. They may not know it yet. They may deny it. But just as your life has meaning and purpose, so does theirs. And you and I have the privilege and the opportunity to let the love of Christ shine through our words and deeds to allow God to use you for his glory this week. Our prayer team is going to be down here in just a moment if you need to talk to somebody about some, a struggle related to things you say or you think or you need Christ in your life, because let me tell you that apart from Christ being there, none of us have the power within us to keep from saying hurtful things. And even with it, we still have a battle because the enemy is not gonna just sit back and let it happen. So I would encourage you, pray. And if you need our team to pray with you, let them do that. Our, our Our series move is about helping you live this out. So if you haven't gotten the journal, you can still do that. They're daily readings to help you 
keep this in perspective. And you, it's not too late even to join some of our groups. And you can go out to the Next Steps area and talk to somebody about that. If you need to put your words into action, Josh is standing over there and he would be glad to take you on a volunteer and help you see how you can make a difference with your actions and your words. And if you're a guest today, I'm going to be out here in the, the lobby on this side with some friends who love to say hello to you. But let's close in prayer and just pray how God might use us and, and transform us. Father God, we thank you that you sent us the word in Jesus, the word of life, the word of God. And as we hold ourselves up to him, we see how far we fall short. And even when sometimes those words come out that are harmful or hurtful, they're an indication of even darker things on the inside. And so it's a, it's a, it's a reminder of how much we need you every day. Not just for a while on Sunday, every day, because we, we talk every day. We use our voices throughout the day. And we have the power in us to use words to create or destroy. Father, don't let us be instruments of the devil, but instruments of God. Use us for your glory. Transform our hearts through Jesus Christ. And enable us to love as you have loved us. To love not just the easy people to love, but even those that it's hard. Even those that our first thought may run very counter to that. May that be a reminder for us to surrender that thought to you. Or the words, if they blurt out, that you might be glorified. That we might be transformed for the sake of your world. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Say a good word. See you next week. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.